Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're about halfway through, exactly, pretty much halfway through this uh, series uh, that we're doing entitled, Are You Listening to God? Uh, the uh, background uh, to the theme of the message that we're, we've been looking at, the 10 plagues in Egypt, uh, those plagues occur primarily because Pharaoh will not listen to the message that Moses is bringing, God's message. Uh, God had time and time again through Moses told him, let my people go. If you don't, then this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So up to this point, there's been four other plagues. The first one was all the water turning to blood. The next one was uh, frogs coming over all the land. The one after that was all the dust becoming gnats. And last week we looked at the swarm of flies and even how uh, God kept the flies out of the region where the Israelites lived, and it only afflicted the Egyptians. Today, as we come to the the fifth plague, what happens in this plague is that their their livestock dies. And the reason I've titled it, How's Your Wealth?, is that in that day and time, in their culture, uh, the economic system was a little bit different than what ours is. Uh, And a lot of the value that they had and the possessions that they had would have been tied to their, to their livestock. I, I was thinking about this week. At this point in time, wouldn't you think that all these plagues would have been starting to kind of grate on the mentality of the Egyptians? Because you've had, in about four to five months' time, you've had that water turn to blood that I mentioned a moment ago, and then there's a stay of that because Pharaoh promised, well, I'll let... God's people go, and then he broke his word. So then you have the frogs, and then when he gets tired of the frogs, there's another stay uh, on that plague because he promised, I'll, I'll let him go, and he doesn't. Breaks his word. Then you have the, the gnats and the flies, same scenario, take place, and in both instances, he tells Moses, I'll let God's people go, and then he breaks his word each time. So over about four to five months, it's like they face this storm in the life of Egypt, this time of trouble, for it to maybe go away for just a little while, and then there's another plague, and another plague, and another plague. It's like about the time they start to see their way through to maybe some recovery of what's taking place, all of a sudden there's another storm hits their life. Have you ever been there in your own life like that? You have trouble storms kind of raining down on your life, and then about the time the clouds start to break and you think you've got a little bit of relief, all of a sudden there's more trouble storms that come. And after a while, I just think that that, that grates on us. That, you know, that really discourages us and oppresses us after a, after a time period. So I'm, I'm guessing that's happening in Egypt that they feel like we've gone from one low to maybe a little bit of a high, and then there's another low and another low and another low, and it's all tied to to Pharaoh refusing to listen to what God was was telling them. That would 
I think, affect the mentality and the psychological condition of the Egyptians, especially Pharaoh. You think after all those things happening, all the plagues up to this point, that surely he would come to the point that he's willing to listen. But he doesn't. So this new plague occurs that we're going to look at today that I think is primarily an attack against their wealth. In that day and time, their culture and their economy would have been built to a certain degree around their livestock. They would have used oxen out in the field to do labor and work. They would have used horses for that some also, but they would have used the horses and the camels for their transportation, donkeys for, for transportation. And not only was their financial system being attacked by this plague, God is continuing to attack the false gods in Egypt. Because in all these plagues, there's been some type of attack that the real true God gives against their false gods. And this is true in this instant also because the Egyptians worshiped some of these animals that would be dying. In particular, they worshiped a bull-type god that was called Apa. Sometimes he was called Ray. They worshiped a goddess, a false goddess by the name of Hathor. And she was supposed to have been the goddess of love, beauty, joy. And she was depicted in the form of a woman's body with a cow's head. I don't know that's a lot better than a woman's body with a frog's head that we talked about. And they had another god, Canaan, that was a a ram god. And the bull god, Apis, that I mentioned a moment ago, that bull god was so reverenced that they even kind of signified you know, one of the bulls there in Egypt to be that God. And then whenever that bull would die, they would give it its own casket. They would bury it in its own special place, kind of like Pharaoh, not, you know, not in, in the huge significant way that they did with the pyramid, but that's how much they thought of this bull. So in with this judgment that's going to take place against their, their livestock, there's this continuing judgment taking place against the false gods in Egypt. If we were to kind of equate that maybe to give us an illustration of it, we'll see in a moment as we start to read the verses that God said, well, tomorrow this is going to happen if you don't let my people go. And then the next day, all that takes place, all the livestock dies. But because of the significance of their livestock, it would be the equivalent of you and I going to bed one night, waking up the next morning to find out all of our transportation options don't work. (laughs) It's not like you go out and you've got one dead battery. It's like every car you own won't function. The, The buses won't function. The airplanes won't function. It's like your transportation options have dried up because that's what would have happened in Egypt when these animals died. It would be the equivalent of finding out your food supply is drying up because some of these animals would have also been used to provide food for them. So it's like your your food supply is drying up. Your ability to work is drying up. It'd be like you go to the bank and check your banking account and find out you're pretty much bankrupt because in that day and time, all these possessions kind of equated to their worth financially and all of a sudden it's being attacked in one day and gone 
Now, I want to stress something where someone doesn't get the wrong message. Today's message is not a health and wealth message. Some of you understand that terminology, some of you might not. Pretty easy to go on TV and find health and wealth messages. A health and wealth message is this. is where someone tells you, if you'll just do what God wants you to do, which a lot of the time involves sending money over the tele, you know, through the mail to somebody, if, you, if you'll just do what God wants you to do, that you'll have plenty of wealth and you'll have plenty of health. Well, we're going to talk about health in a couple of weeks in these plagues. So I don't believe the Bible teaches that. The reason I don't is look at Job, look at the Apostle Paul, look at others. I don't think there's any promise just because you listen to God and do what God wants you to do that that guarantees you're going to be wealthy. I do think listening to God will bless us, but it may not be a financial blessing. At the same time, I also believe this. I think if we outright refuse and continue to refuse listening to God, if God so desires because he is God, he can attack our finances if he wants to. He can attack our ability to make money. He can attack our possessions. If God desires to, if we just continue, continue, continue rejecting what he is saying to us. So as we look at this plague this morning, we kind of need to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves maybe in our own lives, am, am I experiencing some type of judgment against my possessions or against my, my wealth? One thing they were doing that I'll allude to in just a moment, they were worshiping those things. As I said a moment ago, I'll allude to that more in just a moment. So if you're elevating the wrong thing to a place of worship in your life, you might ought to expect God to, to attack it <laughs> because he's the one that's supposed to be worshiped. We need to evaluate just maybe if that's happening to us. And you'll see in the first point, it can happen not just to an individual, it can happen to a nation. So if you're following along in the updates, here's, here's the first point this morning. Refusing to listen to God may. I'm not saying it will, I'm saying it may. It can because it did in this story. And in other places in the Bible, you see similar occurrences. Refusing to listen to God may provoke judgments from God destroying wealth. Maybe not just an individual's wealth, even the wealth of a nation. In verse 1 through 3, the Bible said, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. So that's what God's desire, and that's his message. That's his word to them. And then he gives this warning, For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them. Behold, the land of the Lord, the, the, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. Now, kind of park that away in your mind. I'll, I'll come back to that, him being told the ones in the field. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. So he's being given a warning up front. If you don't do what I'm saying, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. This plague's going to take place. As we think about this plague, I want us to put it in context for a moment. Because when you initially think about this plague, we may be prone to think, well, man, this plague don't sound like it's as significant as the others. Because the water turned to blood definitely affected the human beings that were there directly. It would have affected the animals somewhat, but it's primarily a judgment against the Egyptians. The frogs coming all over the place, that was a judgment against the Egyptians and it made them very uncomfortable in the life they were having to live during those days. So were the gnats and so were the flies. 
This judgment falls primarily on the possessions of the Egyptians. So you might be prone to think, oh, well, that don't sound quite as bad as all the other stuff that was happening to the Egyptians because this is their livestock instead. We see, that's an erroneous way to think about it because you have to look at the long-term effect. You don't just clap your hands and you have more livestock. <laughs> when, when the livestock is killed through this plague, it would have had an ongoing economic and psychological and even a religious impact upon the mind of the Egyptians. Because you can't just replenish that overnight. So don't think of it as being a a little bit of a less of of a judgment. If anything, it's more of a severe judgment when this property or these this livestock comes under attack. Now, there's an underlying thing here that I I think probably most of you know, but I want to be sure that you know, and and that is this. Do you recognize that the the lives of creatures, of animals, can be affected because of man's sin? The Bible literally tells us that's what happened. With the fall of man, with Adam and Eve choosing sin, rebellion against God, and with the curse, it affected all of creation. And Paul tells us this in Romans. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because it wanted it to happen, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because of the fall of Adam, because of the sin of Adam, the curse that God put upon the earth affected even the animals. Now, I didn't put all the text there, but if you go back and read that text sometime, it will talk about all creation longing to see our appearance as the sons of God. And that more or less means this. That means all creation that's now underneath the curse, they're standing on tiptoes, longingly looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back and all the curse is reversed and they see us as we will be one day looking like Jesus. All of creation waits for that. Uh, Another instance in the... Old Testament in Jeremiah tells us this, for how long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beast and the birds are swept away because they said, he will not see our latter end. In other words, they're saying, God, you're not really going to judge us. You're not going to see the latter end of us. And they were just living evil lives and the judgment that was falling upon the land even affected the animals. So you've got a picture of that taking place here in Egypt with Pharaoh continuing to reject God's message, continuing to rebel against the authority of God. You have a picture of even the the creatures being being attacked. Now, we talked a moment ago for a minute about the the gods in in Egypt and how they worship uh, many of those animals, many of those false gods. We'll find out more of the story in a moment, so I'm kind of jumping down in the passage. You can read on down there if you need to to see this. But we're going to find out in just a minute that with this judgment, God says that he's going to protect the livestock of the Hebrews. Like the flies not being allowed to go in Goshen, he's going to protect their livestock. Now, now, now maybe get what's going on here in that. It's in the area, in the part of Egypt, where they're worshiping the livestock like it's a god that those things die. Over in Goshen, where you have God's people who are supposed to be worshiping him, the livestock doesn't die. And maybe an implication for us could possibly be this. We need to be very careful, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, about 
elevating things in our lives to a God type status. I, I know we don't necessarily, you know, bow down and, and worship idols and things like that, but if we're not careful, we can take something and elevate it to an idol status. They, they were doing that in Egypt in an effect of their economic system. We've got a lot of people in this day and time that worship the almighty dollar. Or, or, they, or they worship their God or whatever. And it's kind of like an idol uh, to them. So we need to be careful what we elevate in a place that only God ought to be. Because if we are elevating and worshiping something other than God, then you might ought to expect it to be under attack. Because in one area, it's not under attack here in this plague. In another area where the Egyptians lived, it was definitely under attack. Now, the title of this point, I've not said anything about the nation yet, but I want to point this out to you. It was not just Pharaoh being judged. Pharaoh was the one that was rejecting the truth of God's word. But as a result of it, all of Egypt was being judged. And in this plague, as a result of their possessions being so afflicted, as a result of, of that taking place, of all their livestock dying, it wasn't just Pharaoh's livestock that was dying, it was the livestock of all the people. So God is judging the whole nation in a financial way. Now, don't go off and start your own denomination on this, and I'm not saying necessarily directly it's true, but I think it's enough for us to reflect upon it could be true. That with all of the difficulties we have been having and are continuing to have and the, the, the rise in national debt and everything like that, that one day if something doesn't change, that bubble's going to pop. <laughs> Just maybe we need to ask ourselves, hey, is some of this happening because we've ignored what God said? Because we're refusing to respond to what God said. And even national financial systems can be attacked. Now, now I want to kind of run a, a, a little bit of a side rabbit. It's not really much of a rabbit, but it's something we need to deal with. Because later on in these plagues, you're going to find out in other passages of Scripture, as we continue in these plagues, you're going to see livestock in Exodus 9, 10, in Exodus 9, 20, 21, in Exodus 11, 5, and then in Exodus 14, when the Egyptians take their chariots and they decide to go after the, 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 the Israelites and bring them back. So the reason I'm pointing this out is that a lot of people who want to attack Scripture will say, well, see there, there's an error in Scripture because it said God killed all the animals, all the livestock, but right here they have livestock. Let me give you three possible solutions to that. And all three of them may be active or maybe just one of them. Perhaps an explanation to them having livestock on the other side of this plague is that it was just the animals in the field. You remember a moment ago I told you to park that phrase in your brain? It's literally what Moses said. All the animals in the field will be the ones that die. So possibly not the animals in the shelters were afflicted. Second answer to this would be this potential answer. More than likely, Pharaoh seized livestock from the Israelites in Goshen. Because he goes to investigate, after this plague hits, he sends some people to investigate to see if, if God really 
preserved and kept alive the livestock of, of the Israelites. So since they were still slaves to Egypt, I would just maybe suggest this. After their livestock died, they went and took some away from the Israelites. Does that make sense that he might would have done that? Third possible situation is this. It was just Egypt that was under attack. It wasn't the surrounding countries. So also potentially this could have happened. Pharaoh, being the king of probably the most powerful nation in the world in that day and time, could have easily sent to countries next door and bought more livestock. And the only reason I want to take time to point that out is that I don't want you to to read later as we continue to go through the series and say, well, where'd the livestock come from if they all died over here? Because there are plenty of people that want to point to something like that and say, well, see there, that shows the Bible's got error in it. No, what it shows is that people that look at it in the wrong way have error in their, in their reasoning. There are all kinds of answers to why that could have been true. What we know for sure, though, is this. Based upon the scriptures, we know that God more or less attacked the financial systems of Egypt. And he attacked their wealth because they refused to listen to God. In our lesson, we've been trying to learn lessons from our lives in this series. Our lesson that we ought to learn is this. We need to be sure that we don't refuse God's word. We need to be sure that we're not refusing listening to him. Because one potential impact could be your wealth that happened here. Second thing I want you to see in the story of this plague this morning is a recurring theme that takes place in all these plagues. Because we're going to see, just going to the the next point, guys, uh, the, the authority and the sovereignty of God is really clearly seen in this story. Just like the sovereignty of God is seen in God saying the water is going to turn to blood, and it did. Just like the sovereignty of God being seen and his authority being seen when he said the frogs are going to cover the land, and they did. Just like the sovereignty of God was seen when when he told Pharaoh to throw, smite the dust, or or Aaron to smite the dust, and warn Pharaoh, and all the dust became gnats. Just like when God said, if you don't let my people go, flies, swarms of flies are going to come all over the land, all in your houses, all over your bodies. God said that's what was going to happen, and it happened exactly like God said it would. And we've got a picture of that in this also, a picture of the authority and the sovereignty of God is clearly seen in how God protects or destroys wealth. He he will protect the wealth of the Israelites, of the Hebrews, in Goshen because their livestock doesn't die. But he destroys the wealth of the Egyptians, and it happens just like God said it would happen. When you're that specific about something, if you're proving that you're God and you say something's going to take place, it better take place or that gives people evidence to doubt you. And all through every one of these plagues, God says, this is how it's going to happen. This is when it's going to happen. And each and every time it happens just like God said. Verse four and five, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And then it says in verse 5, And and the Lord set a time, saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Now now there's a twofold proof of the 
sovereignty and the authority of God found in those two verses. The first one is found in that word distinction. It said God made a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing belonged to Israel would die. Similar situation that I alluded to already in the message. The flies did not go into Goshen. And in this situation, even though the the livestock of, of, of the Israelites breathed the same air that the livestock of the Egyptians breathed, their livestock is protected and their livestock does not die. To give some background to the livestock of the the Israelites, and we won't turn and read the verses, but we're told that when Jacob entered into Egypt with his family, they had a lot of livestock with them. They, They had herds and things with them. Over the period of time that the Israelites would have been in bondage in Egypt, the livestock was multiplying. We're also told at the very end of the story, when Pharaoh finally is broken and he lets the children of Israel go, they leave with a large amount of livestock. So Egypt is impacted by this plague, but the Israelites are not impacted by this plague at all. God makes a clear distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites, once again showing the authority and the sovereignty of God. Now I want you to focus on that idea of a distinction for a minute because I'm afraid we live in such a politically correct environment in the day in which we live in that people don't like to talk about distinctions. You know, it's the, the politically way of, of thinking about things and saying things would be, it's okay if you believe in Jesus. It's okay if you believe in Muhammad. It's okay if, if you believe in Buddha. It's okay if you're a Hindu. It's okay if you're a New Ager. It's okay whatever you believe. It, it's kind of the way people want to approach things where there's no distinction, like it's all rolled in together, kind of like some modern-day universalism. But God clearly, all through the Bible, makes a distinction between his people and those that are not his people. And the message for us in that is is this, since there is such a distinction, we need to be about reaching people that don't know Jesus. Because there is a distinction. There will ultimately be an eternal distinction one day between the people that are gods and the people that are not gods. Another aspect of, of, of this story to think about is that the hand of God, I think sometimes we fail to acknowledge this. The hand of God ought to be acknowledged even even in things like the sickness and the death of cattle or other damage maybe that they sustain. I'll talk about the sparrow here in a moment. The Bible teaches God's a sovereign God. Now, if you don't understand exactly what that means, that means he's in control of everything. And we don't tend to think about it like that if someone's cow dies, but in in this instance, God is the one that, that caused that to happen. When I was pastoring my first full-time church, we kind of had a a situation about a a year into me being there as as pastor uh, to where um, I stood up against them doing something that they had done for years, and uh, some supported, some didn't support it. And um, what I was standing up to was this, during their Christmas program, they wanted to have Santa Claus come in and end the Christmas program by bringing him right up into the front of the church and focusing there. And I told them no, that we didn't need to do that. And and here's why. I'm not trying to be some type of legalistic person, but I do think Christmas is about Jesus. 
And I think there are all kinds of places you can go if you want to focus on Santa Claus instead of bringing him in the altar of the church. Problem with that was the chairman of deacons was kind of a hefty old boy, and he, he, he was chosen to be Santa Claus a lot of times because <laughs> he could easily, you know, fit the, the mold. And um, he got upset when we refused to do it, and he decided this. He said, I, I don't like that. I'm going to keep my tithe back. He kept his tithe back that Sunday. This was not his full-time job. This is what he did on, on the side. But he had a pretty good-sized farm and, and a bunch of cattle. So he kept his tithe back on Sunday. That next Monday morning, he had a, a cow that was going to be given birth to a calf, and the calf was stillborn. Now, I'm not saying God did that, but I am saying this. He was sensitive enough, this deacon, even though we were in disagreement about some things, he was sensitive enough to think about it in these terms. He saw that happen, and he said, that's almost exactly the amount of money that I didn't give at church yesterday. And he came and he apologized, and he brought his tithe because he felt like that had happened. I'm not saying it did. I'm saying that's the way he felt, that it happened because he had felt to tie that day because he had the wrong attitude. What I am saying is this, if God wanted to do that, he could, amen? Because look what he did in Egypt. So, so we have in all of this a picture of God's sovereignty. Look, look at what Matthew 10 does say. Jesus said this, are not two spares sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hair's of your head are all numbered. Now, I joke about this all the time. I, you know, I might as well joke about it. I can't do nothing about it. I keep God busy. Yeah, less to count. But you just have to keep up with what's falling out. <laughs> but look at the spare part of that verse. If God is so sovereign that a bird doesn't fall out of the air without him knowing it, Think how sovereign he is if all the cattle in a whole nation die. All the livestock in a whole nation die. Exactly the way that he said it was going to take place. See, that's that's something we, we need to get back to focusing upon in our lives as Christians and in our churches. God is the sovereign God, not a sovereign God, because there's not any other God except him. He is the sovereign God. We, we need to revisit that and understand and keep that ever-present before our mind and in our actions that, that God is the one that's in control. He's sovereign. We're not. And, and you see his hand in a very special way in this plague, proving that he's sovereign, but not just in how he attacked the cattle of the Egyptians. He's also proven at the same time to his people, the Jews, I love you, you're mine. Your cattle didn't die. He makes a clear distinction between the Egyptians and between the Jews. Psalms 36, verse 5 and 6, I think tells us this, that God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's God's authority needs to be acknowledged with thankfulness even in the life of things like cattle or livestock, for he preserves both man and beast. Look what's said in that verse. By the way, some of you, this may sound familiar. As I start to read it, third day, did a song several years ago based on this verse. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. 
Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep talking about the ocean and the sea. Man and beast you save, O Lord. God's sovereignty is seen in how he preserves men, but even in how he preserves animals. And as Christians, we ought to take some comfort in that, that there is a distinction, that, that God makes a distinction between those that are his and those that are not his. The Bible tells us because we belong to him, we're under the shadow of his wings. In Psalms 91, verse 1 through 7, the Bible says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror by the night, nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That's God's way of telling his people, you're mine, you belong to me, I'm taking care of you. I'm a sovereign God, I'm in control. And you see a picture of that in this plague when their cattle doesn't die. Not only can you see the sovereignty and the authority of God in the distinction that he makes, you can see the authority, the authority and the sovereignty of God also in a deadline that he sets. Because Moses said, And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Once again, this goes to prove the sovereignty of God given a specific time when it would begin. It's not like it's a haphazard event. With foreknowledge, with a foretelling of what's about to take place. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, all the livestock dying, it's going to happen tomorrow. And that's exactly what happened. It happened on the very next day, proving God's sovereignty that it, that it took place the very next day. Now, some people might ask, well, why did he... Why did he wait till the next day? And I'll give you maybe about three reasons why uh, that might be the case. Uh, it might have had a threefold purpose. One, could have been time to give, uh, give a time of repentance, a chance for repentance in Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh's life. Having a 24-hour warning, having tomorrow being the warning, a deadline taking place tomorrow, in light of all the other plagues that had happened, Pharaoh had pretty good evidence. Hey, everything else that took place, the way God said it would, this is probably going to take place also. Maybe I need to repent. But he didn't. Instead, he hardened his heart. Possibly, it was a warning time of mercy to where they had a chance to bring more animals in out of the fields if in fact it was only the animals in the fields that died because the exact message was that Moses gave to Pharaoh was that the animals in the fields will die. The livestock in the field will die. But I think for sure this is what's taking place. The fact that God said tomorrow was to give full evidence of the authority and the sovereignty of himself. He gives full evidence of the authority and sovereignty of God by the plague occurring exactly when God said it would occur. It goes to prove that he is a sovereign God and that he's in control. So what's our lesson in that? Our lesson in that is simply this. We need to remember that God is sovereign. 
We need to remember that God has all authority, and we need to respond correctly to the authority and the sovereignty of God. Thank God he makes a distinction between his people and those that aren't his people. But that's not just a reason for thanksgiving. That's a reason for us to have a burden. Because right now, today, some of you have family members or friends or acquaintances or people you work with, that their distinction is there. You're God's person because you've received Christ as your Savior. You're part of God's people, but they're not. And we ought to be comforted by the distinction that God makes, but we ought to be burdened by it, and that ought to cause us to be more more energetic in trying to tell others about Jesus. Because there's a deadline that God has set. We don't know when the deadline will come. We don't know when a time of the end will come. A question we may need to ask ourselves is this. What deadlines has God placed upon our lives because we've been refusing to listen to Him? We're not even aware of it. But maybe there's some deadlines that God set upon our lives because we're refusing to listen to Him. The third point, I think maybe the most important point out of this plague is, is this. In this plague, you've got evidence given, evidence investigated, and evidence ignored. Evidence is given. God gives abundant evidence. The evidence is investigated by Pharaoh, and then he ignores the evidence. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. That's what God has said. That was like a standard he had put out there to prove his sovereignty and his power and his authority. And then in verse 7, it says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, he sent someone to investigate. He sent, and here's what he found out. Behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. The reason I said this is the most serious point for us to think about this morning, because we're getting ready to have this thing at church we call invitations, where we ask you to listen to God and, and, and try and see if you, know, if you really have a relationship with Him, see if God's calling you to do, to do something. At the end of this story, of this plague, God gives abundant evidence. The plague happened just like he said, when he said. The plague happened in a way to where it was just the cattle of the Egyptians, their livestock, and not of the Israelites. He's given abundant evidence. He's been given abundant evidence through all the plagues. So there's abundant evidence that's been given to him. He didn't listen. He didn't let them go. So all their livestock die. And Pharaoh starts thinking to himself, I need to check this out and see if it's true. So he sent someone over to Goshen to look at the livestock of the Israelites and all their livestock was alive. Not one of them had died. So he explores, he investigates out the claims of God in this plague and he discovers they're true. But do you know what Pharaoh does? He shrugs his shoulders, walks away, hardens his heart all the more. Now, the reason I said this morning this is the most important 
point, maybe for us in this story of the plague, is for this reason. God has given us abundant evidence. The abundant evidence that I'm talking about that God has given us primarily is this. God became a man. Exactly like he said he would become a man. God had prophesied that Jesus Christ, his son, Emmanuel, God with us, would be born of a virgin. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus is born of a virgin. He grows up and he lives a sinless life. And yet he winds up being accused by the religious crowd. They arrest him, they beat him, and they nail him to a cross. All of that had been foretold. All of that evidence had already been given. God gives us a clear description of what a crucifixion looks like in the Psalms. Hundreds of years before anyone had ever created crucifixion as a means of execution, God described it. Hundreds of years before it would ever happen. Jesus himself had said that they were going to take his life trying to give hints and prepare the disciples for it. Jesus himself had said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up, talking about his own body. And everything that was said about Jesus, everything that's been prophesied about Jesus, about his coming and his death on the cross and him taking his life back up on the third day, all of it came true. They took him off the cross, they put him in a tomb thinking they were done with him. But on the third day, he took his life back up and he walked around giving evidence that he had done exactly what he said he would do. Giving evidence also for us theologically that he had paid everything necessary, satisfied all the holy demands of God. Well, what I'm simply telling you is this. We have been given the evidence. We can investigate the evidence. So a lot of people get in their mind somehow that believing this Christianity stuff is just, you know, something you have to kind of just completely, totally accept by faith like there's no evidence. It's almost like it's a fairy tale and, and you kind of have to decide to believe in that way somehow. And it is believing by faith that saves us, but at the same time, we've been given abundant evidence that it's true. There have been people like Josh McDowell who was studying to be a law student who decided as an atheist he was going to set out to completely disprove Christianity and the tenets of Christianity. In the process, he became convinced, not just from a faith standpoint, but from a logical standpoint, that all the evidence demands a verdict, and he wrote a book titled that. We have been given abundant evidence We need to investigate the evidence. You need to consider the evidence that God has given us, but then don't do like Pharaoh. Don't shrug your shoulders and walk away. Don't harden your heart. Instead, you need to allow the evidence that God has given you to change your life. The Bible gives us some some warnings, many warnings. But I'm just going to read a couple of them. Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That sounds like a pretty good picture of Pharaoh in Egypt, doesn't it? And that's what can happen to us if we harden our heart. 
Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We live in a day and time that people want to look at just the Bible and the claims of Christ and everything being, being fairy tales. But it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want real wisdom, fear God and listen to God. And he'll give you the real wisdom that you need. Like he did for Josh McDowell and many others that have set out to disprove Christianity. And even from a logical standpoint. After they put all the evidence together, they, they believe it must be true. Paul even warns us as believers not to harden our hearts in Ephesians. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Don't live like you used to as a Christian. Don't live like the Gentiles, which in that day and time would have meant like the heathen. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Notice this, due to their hardness of heart. So God, through the pen of Paul, gives us a warning that even his believers, if we're not careful, we can harden our hearts. Not lose your salvation, but it sure can impact your life in your relationship with Jesus if you harden your heart. How's your wealth today? Maybe right now, before we start to have this invitation in a moment, you need to just ask yourself if potentially you're facing some financial judgments on your life because you've been refusing to listen to God. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, God is our, our nation, or ask God to help us see. God is, is our nation facing the kind of stuff we're facing economically and financially because we've refused to listen to you. This may be before we have this invitation, you need to remind yourself that God's a sovereign God, that he's the one that's in authority. That God sets distinctions between those that are his and those that aren't his. Maybe you need to ask yourself, what kind of deadline am I facing in my life? What kind of deadline does God have established that I'm unaware of? In other words, maybe today could be your last time to have the chance to receive Jesus. Might be next week. Might be next year. I don't know and you don't know, but God knows. He's a God that sets deadlines. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our, for our land, for our nation. We pray for our own lives as individuals. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's facing some hard economic difficulty in their life, God, I pray first of all they'll evaluate if potentially they're facing it because they've refused to listen to you. And Father, if that's the case, speak to their heart and help them to listen to you this morning. Father, it's evident in your word that you do make a distinction between people, those that are yours and those that aren't yours. So, Father, if there's someone in this place today that doesn't belong to you because they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray you draw them to yourself. I pray that they would 
would have the faith they need, the evidence they need right now to trust in Jesus. God, there are deadlines that we don't know when will take place. But Father, make us sensitive to your spirit now. Father, help us to consider all the evidence you've given us. Help us to investigate it. But Father, help us to allow it to change our lives for the good instead of harden our hearts. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we do this song, this hymn of invitation to God speaking to your heart. You need to come and pray. We invite you to come pray. If you need someone to pray with you, if you'll come see me, either I or someone else will pray with you. Maybe we need to pray for our nation, the economic status in our nation. Certainly we need to pray that our nation, and especially we as believers, listen to God. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.